everyone. It's Labor Day weekend, and we're going to celebrate being working stiffs with our oh. entertainment coverage, right? No, no, not at all, because I'm working every single day this weekend, so I don't know what to tell you about being off on Labor Day. I, I don't have that luxury. We'll talk to our guest, Adam Flores, from stlshakes.org. Around minute 42, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Around minute 54, Cinderella on Amazon. Around minute 59, The Lost Leonardo. Around one hour and nine minutes, On Broadway and Chicago. Around one hour and 14 minutes, The Gateway. Around one hour and 18 minutes, Doug Days, The Only Murderers in the Building, and upcoming TV shows. Well, I don't think actors either. And I don't think um, journalists, we never do. I always said it was like a doctor. And uh, my uh, my son, Charlie, when he was in college, he, he told a radio station, well, he told me that he didn't want to go into journalism because he saw the hours that I worked. Smart. <laughs> so anyway, we are welcoming one of the premier Shakespeare talents in St. Louis who has a varied career on stage and off stage. And that is Adam Flores. Hello, Adam. Hi, how's it going? Good. We are so happy to see you today. And you have had a busy summer. Yeah, it's been it's been full. I mean, it's uh, I guess it's the the luxury of being in the outdoor theater game. Uh, we get to be kind of one of the first people to hit it, hit it pretty hard on the way back. So it's it's been very, very busy over here with us. Well, I have been impressed with the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. I'm so happy you guys changed your name, St. Louis Shakespeare Festival, not Shakespeare Festival St. Louis. And then also they changed the name of their website, which is so much better. It's stlshakes.org. And so go there and find out everything they did because you all have pivoted so well during the pandemic once the lockdown hit they were doing all this stuff online and facebook and they had you had those uh small vignettes and uh you had a playwriting contest and you did all sorts of things well one of the things that adam uh was involved in last summer was that late summer stroll in forest park where they did a version of midsummer night's dream but you had little areas you walked it was a walking tour and that was fabulous and you were you were shuttling the the people and you were doing all sorts of well this summer you directed that brilliant othello yeah thank you thank you uh it, it was good you know you all were talking about not taking the time off we at the st louis shakespeare festival didn't even take a pandemic off uh, you know, and, and try to keep busy, but we're glad. And, you know, part of the pivot too, um, that we've been thinking about is using this opportunity to look at programs and decide kind of where we want to be. And the Othello came out of a pivot that was, you know, this was a program that usually traditionally went into schools, um, around the area and just traveling and taking bodies into schools just didn't seem like a thing that we really, uh, were prepared to do in the midst of still a, a COVID pandemic. And, kudos to those folks who were figuring that out and how to make that happen. But we also felt like there were other groups in town that were doing the TYA scene really, really strong. And we wanted to do something that was educational for everybody. And so the pivot with Tourco to the public parks, to all to 24 different public parks and, and locations uh, was in that vein of everyone still has more to learn and everyone has more ways that they can engage with Shakespeare. And so 
We did that living study guide at the beginning, which just kind of helps set the framework oh. for everybody, you know, regardless of if you've seen Othello a million times or you've never seen it before, giving you some insight into what you were about to see with just six actors was part of that kind of, it's an educational pivot that kind of moved us out of the schools and into public spaces. Well, you pared it down to 90 minutes and it was really good. <laughs> it flowed and then your cast was fantastic. So good. Charlie Barron is, I told him this, I said, I'm sorry to say, Charlie, but you are a great villain. And he goes, don't say sorry, because that's what he is. And and so um, I went to the Belleville Park because I wanted to uh, support it being in my hometown and going to Illinois because you know, not everybody in St. Louis will come over to Illinois. So, uh, and that was a beautiful night. Now, did you have very many rainouts? We had two rainouts and one heat out um, <laughs> where the heat just got, uh, you know, kind of the best of us, um, you know, and two, like some places were shady, some places were not, but we only had two rainouts. Um, uh, luckily, none of our rainouts, uh, I believe, were over on the Illinois side. We went to Edwardsville, Collinsville, as well as Belleville. Um, we also got out to Sullivan, Missouri, and Herman, Missouri. Uh, you know, which is, and I grew up in the rural mid, mid Missouri, and so I also appreciated getting out that way uh, as well. So it was, we, we were all over the place. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, another thing is it was like the old fashioned old timey minstrel days where they would take and, and Shakespeare's written about this many times. The traveling troops that would go to town to town and act because you guys loaded up a couple vans and headed out. And then every night was a new area where you had to put the sound up. You had to put the lights up. You had to put everything up. Plus, yeah. It was great. I mean, like we kind of knew that that was what we we're going to be doing. And so we built the show specifically to be loaded up in one van and, and kind of move. And Emily Klinger, our production stage manager, and uh, Josh Van Horbach uh, were kind of our pivotal people going out and setting up in the heat every day and making sure everything was ready. And, you know, it was, you know, 24 different parks. You're, you're showing up to something different every time and never know quite what the, the new adventure is going to be for every location. So it was quite a, quite a journey. I bet you heard some good feedback from unlikely people. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And I'm not, I'm not sure I'd say unlikely in the sense that maybe uh, new people to us, I, you yes. know, you know, the hope was that we'd find people, you know, I, you know, um, meeting people who come up and are like, what are you doing? What's this in my neighborhood? You know, da, 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 from other people like you being like, I'm so glad you're in my neighborhood. I'm so glad you're out here. Uh, and that was what we wanted. We wanted to kind of show up to where people were and, and take it to them, you know, and, and uh, in June, people come to us. And so now, you know, this new tradition is hoping that in August we're coming to them. Which is great, which leads us into the exciting new St. Louis Shakespeare in the Streets project, because when I first moved to St. Louis six years ago, this was one of the first things I did. And it was in the North City neighborhood uh, where Crown Candy Kitchen is. And it was Our Hearts Fresh. It was an adaptation of Twelfth Night. And you could see the arch from the side. And it was delightful because there was local people and it was funny. And there were all ages sitting in lawn chairs. And, and it was a beautiful September night. And I thought, this is just great. And it's become one of my favorite things. Now, of course, last year you didn't do it, 
but I've been to the one in Maplewood. I've been to the one downtown. You were in that. And mm-hmm. I remember, and then uh, actually all of them since, except last year. And then this year you're going to be in the Ville and it's going to be this Thursday through Saturday at 8 PM. So tell us about that. We're, we're thrilled. You know, you know, one of the things that also happened was we've, fallen in love with the Ville neighborhood and just it, it's become a place for us and we didn't want to pivot on this one we really wanted to give it a full show with as much kind of love and intensity we didn't want to make it try to make it into something else because we just thought the Ville neighborhood was so rich um, so we're really excited yeah we'll be in front of the animal on home in the Ville uh, for those who maybe don't know because I really didn't fully know and understand the Ville is a historic black neighborhood on the north side of St. Louis. The Ville and then the Greater Ville. It's only about uh, one square mile plus a little bit of just some of the most dense parts of uh, black culture in St. Louis. We're right there at this, in, this space and intersection. We have Sumner High School, which was the first high school west of the Mississippi to accept black students. Like that alone is like hallowed ground. You know, we also have Homer G. Phillips. Uh, which was a, the predominant training hospital for black nurses and doctors and, and white nurses and doctors in the Midwest. It was also, you talk to most uh, black elders in St. Louis, the majority of them were born at this hospital. Uh, it is no longer a hospital. It is now a, a retirement apartment, which is great that it's still being used and that there's life in the building. Um, but it is an incredible, incredible facility that had so much history and had such an impact on the way medicine is done in the Midwest. That is just a stone's throw from there. We also have the Tandy Rec Center, which was a hub for athletes and, and artists uh, out of uh, the north side of St. Louis. Uh, had some epic basketball games uh, were, were held there. Um, and then there's also the Annie Malone home. And Annie Malone is an icon in St. Louis. One of the first um, black female billionaires that we've had um, was, you know, the predecessor to Madam C.J. Walker, but often, you know, less known. It just really invested in St. Louis, wasn't from here, but, you know, found a home and a way to be an entrepreneur in beauty supplies here in St. Louis. And they're all within a stone's throw. Now, you know, in my younger days, I could have thrown a baseball twice and hit all of these buildings, right? My arm's not quite as good as it is, you know, was back then, but we're talking a very dense population of a lot of history. And that's just some of the, 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 the places that are right there, Poro College, and um, a lot of other schools that were really instrumental. Stowe's teacher, Stowe's, Stowe Teachers College was right there. All this dense history in one little location that we are, we are going to bring to life uh, and, and take over. And the other thing I'll say that's just kind of, you know, when Rick Dildine, our previous artistic director, you know, came up with Shakespeare in the Streets, one of the things that he said was that we want to shut down the streets, not for crime, not for, not for um, an accident, but for theater and what's really cool is that where our location is in front of Annie Malone this street used to be shut down all the time for the May Day Parade the, the, where we're, where our show is is where the end of the May Day Parade used to be so this street has a history of being shut down and full of bodies for art and we are re-bringing that back to this very location where that was the history of it being so we think it's really exciting to be going back to that location. Yeah, a lot of white people in St. Louis don't necessarily know the history of Annie Malone, but they have heard of the Annie Malone parade. They they don't they don't know what she did or what they were what uh, the amazing philanthropic things she did, but they do know that up north there's an Annie Malone parade every year. And this is a great thing to bring all these communities together. 
Yeah, and and it's sad. I mean, the, the Mayday Parade no longer runs on the same route. It no longer goes through the Ville. It now goes downtown, uh, which is, there's all sorts of reasons why that is. And, and you know, we're not to, you know, poo-poo any decisions about that. But we are to say we're really excited about bringing that kind of level of excitement back to the very street, the very spot that the Annie Malone Mayday Parade used to run down. And there's some really famous people that grew up there. Uh, Carl, T- uh, Tina Turner, yes. and Chuck Berry. As you said, it was the first school to accept African-American people in there. But if you talk to a lot of old men, they say, oh, yeah, I went to Sumner High School. And you go, wow. Yeah, there's been lots of kind of populations that have used the Ville and Sumner as a launching point, you know. But, you know, yeah, Tina Turner and, you know, Dick Gregory are kind of the, the, the main Chuck Berry are the names that like come out of there. Um, also, Arthur also, Arthur Ashe, um, you know, comes to St. Louis specifically to go to Sumner because that's where he can develop his tennis career. Um, but also, too, I think it's the unknown names. I think that kind of Carl's mentioned that the amount of people for a long time that use Sumner as a launching point to their careers and also due to building families and businesses and, and all sorts of the basic things that um, a, a good high school can do and is still doing today. But it doesn't get the recognition of uh, some of the other um, institutions in in St. Louis um, that have produced just incredible local citizens, right? Uh, that have done so much. So this play, I know um, Mariah Richardson, one of my former STLCC colleagues, she uh, wrote, she adapted the play. So what Shakespeare is the source of this and how is this going to be presented? Are you going to be using some local people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it's important to note, too, in, in the history of the Shakespeare in the Streets program, it's the first time that we've got the play, which was often, which was for years, uh, the, the program was shepherded by incredibly with, with adept hands by Jenny Windsor and Nancy Bell. And they did a great job building this program out to where it is. So I want to give you know, make sure they give credit. But we're excited that we're kind of pivoting this way that Mariah is actually went to Sumner and is a Sumner alumni and has connections to the community. It's the first time that we've kind of had that kind of connection. Thomasina Clark, who's directing it, um, it, you know, lives in the Ville, lives around the corner from where we are and was brought home from Homer G. Phillips as a baby to the home that she's living in now, right? These are, and Thomasina is an incredible artist of incredible caliber who's acted on our main stage before right like it's this is just to show that the, the quality of, of of artists and people that are coming out of Sumner is is vast um so they both are kind of shepherding this project now which is great that people from that actual community are able to to tell the story in a way that we haven't always done before um and 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 there's pros and cons to all of that but we're really excited about for this one so the, the main kind of thrust of this is it is based on Hamlet, but very loosely. And I think that this is one of the great things about this program. It's using Shakespeare and using some of the, the things of Shakespeare that we recognize and know uh, without trying to like shoehorn all of Shakespeare into this story of this community, right? And so the main thrust of this is that we have a young man named Hamlet Simmons and he is visited by a ghost. But instead of being the ghost of his father who has been wrongfully killed and all this like interpersonal family drama, he's being visited by ghosts of the bill, including mm-hmm. Annie Malone, who are saying, it's not about avenging my death. It's about saying, it, it's about bringing back life to this neighborhood, that there needs to be 
wrongs righted in this neighborhood. And that is what we need to lift and bring back up. And so we don't have all the other little subplots around Hamlet, but this idea of someone from the past charging me with something that's hard. And how do I struggle with deciding if I want to do that hard thing of making what has been wronged right? And so that's the piece of Hamlet that we're using. Uh, and there's language in there and there's, you know, uh, his best friend's name Horatio still. Um, but uh, it's, it's, you know, not all of the other kind of intrigue, but this very simple question of like, when something from your past is showing you that there's a wrong and it's a hard wrong to right, what are you going to do about that? And what responsibility do you have to your elders, to the past, to make a wrong uh, righted. And so that's the central question of how Hamlet is being used in this way. Um, and, and, it, and that's the simpleness of it, right? It's not meant to be every single scene in Hamlet is lining up with the thing that's happening in, in our play. But um, that's the idea, that's the structure that Mariah has brilliantly come up with. Well, a dot uh, was a play that by Coleman Domingo that the Black Rep did, and Thomasina Clark. That was my first experience seeing her on stage, and we nominated her for a St. Louis Theater Circle Award. And the this Shakes in the Streets has been nominated multiple times for St. Louis Theater Circle Awards. So it's it's not like this thrown together production. It's very, uh, very well done. It's very well thought out. Uh, why do you like working with Shakespeare so much 500 years later? I mean, to be honest, like I struggle working with Shakespeare sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, why? Why is it always Shakespeare? But the thing that I like is the, the challenge of um finding a, a common language between people. And I think Shakespeare uh, is not always common language amongst people, right? But he does give us a lot of footprints and a lot of leeway and a lot of play to find what those commonalities can be. And I, the other thing that I really like with Shakespeare and Shakespeare in the Streets is that, you know, for the writers and for the creators of the story, one of the hardest things to do when creating a new piece of theater is being like, okay, what's the beginning, what's the middle, and what's the end? And when you have Shakespeare, he's kind of already mapped that out for you. <laughs> and then you can kind of create and really have the freedom to tell the other parts of the story that you really want to tell because someone's already kind of laid out that roadmap for you. I think that's why adaptation has like such a stronghold in marginalized communities because we're saying, great, you've already mapped out kind of the basic stuff. Let me then infuse my own language, my own culture, my own thoughts and feelings onto this because you've already kind of laid out that outline work. And I think that that's what Shakespeare can do, particularly in the Shakespeare in the streets space. Um, and similarly to, you know, uh, to uh, what we did with Othello, it was like, we're just going to take this like basic thing. And yeah, we're shrinking it down to minute, 90 minutes because we just want the essence of it. We want the core. We want the basics. And we want to try and see where you can find your, your you know, hooking in points to this. And, and I think that that's what's really exciting is that it's a vehicle that, you know, also provides a lot of prestige. People are, are glad that we're saying the bill is worthy of Shakespeare, right? That like it's, it, it, it elevates kind of the larger concepts that we're saying, look, we think that the stories of these people are on par with the Prince of Denmark. You know, mm -hmm. we think that those are equivalents. And so doing that to the out, you know, the outside world, to the people looking in, I think provides a lot of uh, really important uh, leverage. Well, go ahead, Lynn. I was just going to say it's free. Yes. It free. And yes. they're going to be selling food and beer right outside for you or, 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 or drinks. It doesn't have to be beer. It's drinks, whatever you That's want. That's right. But Water. 
That's right. Yeah, there, it's free. We want everyone to come. And part of the beauty of, of that freeness is, and us being out in public, is that people always don't even know that they're coming to our show. And then they find the show and then they're there. And there's no kind of like uh, bar for entry in that sort of way that uh, some other spaces might have. Um, and, also, you can bring, and you can bring your own stuff too. Like if you're just walking by, you just, oh, bring, bring yourselves. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of my favorite moments, you know, uh, during Othello was we were on Cherokee Street and there was uh, a young woman walking by, walking her dog. And she saw the show and she's like, oh, this is really interesting. And then she went into her house and came back with like a little seat. And then the dog was getting fussy. So then she went back into her house, left the dog, came back with her seat and a snack. <laughs> and, you know, had, had like, you know, decided that this was something that we were, that she was going to spend some time. And we're hoping that the community of the Ville, who we're trying to make sure knows about this project, but also we just want, you know, them to be able to find it and be like, oh, this is happening. Or, or like, oh. I'm seeing them building something because we've already got the scaffolding up there, you know, and over the course of the week, be like, oh, there's this thing that's developing. And maybe I actually want to come and make this an event, you know, on Friday night uh, and do that part. And then the one other thing I'll plug about this, of all the experiences that you can have, we were partnering with an amazing local organization, which is something we always try to do called For the Ville, for like the, the numerical, For the Ville. And they are a great organization that is deeply tied to that community and has deep roots in what's going on there. And on Saturday, we're teaming up with an event that they always have, or not always, I think it's the third year that they've done called the Trap Run. And the Trap Run is a, uh, a 5K run or, or mile walk that you can do around the larger north side of the city. And along the way, they've got DJ set up playing trap music, a, a version of, of hip hop along the way. So you can be listening to the trap music as you run. And so it's a really Saturday. If you really want to make a day on the north side and see a part of town that maybe you haven't given enough attention to or want to give attention to in a new way, you can come uh, run with me and then go to the show. You can run with me because I'm going to be going very slow. <laughs> um, but I am gonna gonna make it through, and 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 that's also what we're really excited about is that it's it's working with all of these things that are already happening. I mean, we're not the first people who thought, hey, it would be cool to have an event in the Bill. For the Bill's been doing events there for a long time. We're just tapping into what's already there and trying to bring a larger awareness that there is life, there is community in this place that um, some of us don't spend a lot of time looking at. And and what is the pop up that's going to be Friday morning? Yeah, the pop-up park is um, kind of just, again, trying to bring life into um, that neighborhood. And so the pop-up park is sort of kind of an idea of being like, hey, we don't use this space enough. Let's just get, let's just spend some time here and like have events and have things and have activities and kind of use it as a way to say, hey, look, we're here, we're doing things, we're out, we're spending time, you know, and, and trying to just bring a lot more visibility to the life that's there. And the pop-up park is like designed to be kind of one of the larger thoroughfares uh, uh, over there by, I believe it's on Sarah and, and MLK, uh, that like people go through a lot, but maybe don't realize, oh, there's like a whole sense of, of, of community here that's happening. Um, so again, it's just trying to like bring life and revitalization to a community that needs a lot more attention. Which is a noble thing and wonderful. And I can't tell you how much I love this. This is one of my favorite things. This and the Tennessee Williams Festival. I just look so forward to this every year. And uh, of course, last year we understood why it had to be canceled. But I'm really happy that it has returned. And for safety precautions, what are you telling everybody? 
Yeah. So the, the two main things is that if you're coming from outside, if you're not someone who's already on the north side, uh, you know, we've drawn a, a pretty clear map of exactly kind of like where to get. Um, and then there'll be a parking lot that will specifically be the spot that will have security there. And then we'll kind of walk you down the last like block or so to the location. You know, we're going to ask that people be masked as they move through the spaces, similar as we did to the Glen. And then once people are seated and kind of, you know, socially distancing as best they can, um, you know, and finding people's own comfortability, kind of laying out where your chairs and your blankets are, um, then you can be unmasked to like when you're at your spot. But as people are trying to move through the space, um, we're asking you to, to, to be masked. And then, of course, we're, you know, keeping people away from our actors and those folks up there um, who have been going through all sorts of different kinds of equity protocols um, uh, as best we can to, to make all of that kind of happen. Um, but the, the main thing is, is uh, come out. It's going to be, there's going to be lots of life and, and excitement happening in the area. Um, and definitely don't come if you're sick or not feeling well. I would not, <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, a good time to yeah. see a show anyway, you know. Or have not, a fever. Yeah. 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 Adam, yeah. after, after a year off, did you think, well, not really off because you were still, you still did the Christmas thing in the Central West End, but after not doing Shakespeare in the Park last year, then starting in June with King Lear, following it up in August with Othello, and then now doing Hamlet in September, could you think that you could do all of those in the course of three months? Before now, would you say that would be impossible? Um, I, you know, I don't think I would have said it would have been impossible. I would have probably said, let's make yeah, different that, choices. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's kind of on par for how I think myself and Tom Ridgely, our, you know, uh, artistic uh, producer, like think about things is a little bit like, if you're not doing something, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and so I think, you know, we want to be pushing, we want to be moving, um, I think too, Carl, we were so desperate to um, get back to the kinds of programs that we love and that we feel really passionate about because um, you know, that, that's what got us all working the gig. That's what got all of us doing the thing. I think we got lucky. I mean, King Lear was uh, um, a, a complicated thing, but I think was a success in a way that we we weren't even necessarily sure we were planning for, you know, uh, we had, it started with this idea of like, let's um, get a really good black director and let them do what they want to do. And that was the, that's what we thought we were aiming for, you know, and then all the dominoes that fell to getting Carl uh, Cofield as the director, who's now at NYU Tisch running their, you know, acting program to getting Andre to Shields, you know, who's just back now on Broadway at 80s town to all the collection of local actors that we were able to get the, 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 the high caliber of local talent that was on that stage as well. Um, Jacqueline but, Thompson. Yeah. Jerome Davis, who Jay is Davis. just coming from, uh, from uh, cancer treatment and he was up there dancing and, and it was such a vibrant production and it was, it was a fun production. Oh yes. and, and, yeah. And sitting in the pods worked great. Yeah. Everybody was spellbound. The technical qualities, y'all, you guys always have such expert sound and lighting and, and all that for outdoors and the set. I just always love what, what you all do there. But uh, one of the things I like about the, the immediacy of the Shakespeare in the streets is this real sense of community. 
there is this this great sense of community. And that's what I think people missed during the pandemic was we wanted to connect with people. And this is a way that you feel connected to St. Louis and all the different neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean, and, and we think that, you know, and under Tom's, you know, leadership in particular, too, there's been a, this focus on getting back to feeling really connected, you know, um, you know, you know, on the main stage, you know, we had lots of local talent, including like Ramey Cornell, Carl Overly Jr., Jason Little, who then played Othello for us, you know, a lot of other the uh, black rep interns were in the show uh, on stage with, you know, Andre and all these other big names, Alan Gilmore from Chicago, all these other folks. Um, and then two, you know, people also, you know, one, one of the things that's really hard is that when you are a marginalized person and a particularly marginalized theater person in a community like St. Louis, it can be hard to find opportunities to get to that next level, right? And that's what we see a lot of St. Louis folks leaving want because they think that their best opportunity is going to be somewhere else. And so all of these programs and all of these things are designed to, you know, let people know that there are opportunities here. There are, are spaces where you can begin to do this thing and, and exercise this muscle. The other thing that's great about Shakespeare in the Streets is, you know, it's not all like actors on their way to the rise, you know, it is local <laughs> community members and people who are like, this is actually just my community and I want to be in a play. And like, this is, you know, a thing that we were, we're trying out. Um, and it highlights lots of that kind of thing as well, which is important that it can't just be about, you know, the only space for on our stages is for those people who want to do this and, and, and rise or, you know, um, relegated to productions where they're not getting paid. Like there has to be a balance of all of that. And, and those, those productions are great. I love a great community theater where people are there for the love of it and they want to do that. That's so important to the overall ecosystem of a theater. But we also want to provide opportunities for people to speak their truth in a big way. And I mean, I think too, I, I know Lynn, you saw the one downtown. Um, we're bringing, we brought back Peter and Marjorie Spack um, to do projection set design stuff. And so the Annie Malone home is going to be transformed into just this visual display of, you know, um, a, a community that needs just to be highlighted in some sort of way. So it's going to be great. It's and lots of cool things. And had Sefi Cushman and Vanessa Tabor doing costumes, which will always be great. And Brian Powell doing uh, added lights. Uh, all of that stuff is just going to really bring the show together. I'm looking really forward to it. I'm not coming till Friday. So that'll be really, really fun. Lynn, I was assuming you were coming on Saturday and doing the trap run before. I don't know. Why. <laughs> I, that was my assumption. I don't, I, I'm confused now. I don't even hey, know. I, I can do the mile walk. I can okay. do the mile walk. But however, I have a, a Arts for Life meeting at 10 a.m. So I'm on the board. So there uh, we go. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I could do the walk. But yeah, no, the run days are beyond me. Well, if you if you want to find out more about everything that we just talked about, go to stlshakes.org. And then it's the very first thing on the page. And I highly recommend to, uh, you know, because this is about long term investment. You know, I really want to recommend that people get on their Instagram, get on their Facebook and follow for the Ville, follow all these other partner organizations that we are talking about. You know, you're going to hear from the legend singers. Follow them. You need to know what these folks are doing all year long not just the weekend that they're doing stuff with us, as well as, of course, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. But, you know, get get your foot in now as a way to be like, I always kind of want to know when that trap run is coming. I always kind of want to see when the legend singers are singing next. You know, like, 
also help us be part of that long-term investment of bringing long-term attention to these, these spaces and these organizations. Excellent. Adam, thank you for letting people know this is, this is a great, this is great for the community. We think so. We think so. I mean, it's not great for my sleep cycle, but you know, I'll take that. I'll take that one for the team. Exactly. Are you going to be on on stage anytime soon? No, not anytime soon. I, I uh, um, you know, we also too have been taking up uh, a lot of work helping with other arts organizations to bring some revitalization to Sumner in the classroom. Oh, uh, wow. and so so we've been working with the Contemporary Art Museum, Craft Alliance, um, uh, a bunch of other organizations, Opera Theater, St. Louis, um, Pianos for People. Uh, Stages St. Louis, Girl Conductor, uh, lots of other organizations to bring some, the Black Rap, uh, to, to bring some arts uh, education to Sumner, like in this part of their school day and bringing like an elevated sense of instruction there. And so that's going to keep me busy for quite a while. But yeah, uh, I'm hoping to get back on stage at some point, but there's plenty to do here. And uh, we're, we're thrilled to also help advocate getting some other folks on stage for a bit. Lynn, he just directed more than 20 shows. Let him. I know, I know, I know, but I was just, you know, because he does everything. So that's good. Uh, Arts for Life, which is community theater organization. One of the things we started a couple of years ago was this program called Adopt a Student. And we worked with McClure North for a couple of years and we were paired individually those of us who volunteered we were paired with a student and our job was to mentor them and uh because sometimes they don't get that mentorship uh at home because you know if you're a theater kid people are always like you know your family's like what are you doing and so uh we helped with the production of the color purple and uh we uh i enjoyed that so much because my uh my student was a freshman and he was uh from kenya and he was this shy, sweet boy, but he just was on fire about theater. And he would message me all the time asking me about how he could get into it, how he could study it. And it was great. It was great fun. And then Doug um, retired from McClure North. So we're looking at Sumner. We're looking at uh, to do something mentoring uh, arts because they're trying to revitalize the arts at Sumner. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, we definitely love to, to talk to you about that because, you know, um, and it's not just the arts at Sumner. I mean, like the, Sumner has a large history, but, you know, it's a school that, you know, was on the precipice of being closed. And we just along with the community, right, like the community was saying, we they don't want up. Sumner to close. Mm -hmm. We don't want Sumner to close. And so we tried to listen and respond and, and provide resources. But um, it, it's a it's a great school. It's a beautiful building. It's huge, though. And so that's like hard, you know, when you have such a big building, but the kids are great. Um, it's just like, like everything we've been saying, it just hasn't had enough attention and, you know, you know, uh, attention must be paid. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what we were trying to do, you know, where there's no way that we are going to, you know, save Sumner or anything like that, but we are trying to just give it more attention because we believe that that's kind of where our role as allies is to give resources and attention right now and to listen. So that's what we're working on. Um, but yes, yes. I, I promise then when I get back on stage, I'll let you know. And we definitely will be in conversation about mentorship stuff at Sumner for sure. 
Yeah, well, the uh, the arts and education programs all over need help because yeah. uh, they're they're one of the first things cut, which always drives me crazy because it's like, oh my god, the arts are to me they're as important as sports because they teach a team environment to kids. Just like I grew up in a family of jocks, and that that teammates they don't they see each other as teammates. They don't look at each other as one lane people you know and and so it's like that whole team like we're all working together we're collaborating we're whatever and so the arts just just you know go on forever in life and then they cut it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean and also too i just think you know a lot of schools coming out of a a year of such uh, two years of such uncertainty that every school is looking to find its footing and its grounding right now. And that's, and the kids too. I mean, they, they've been, you know, two years of, of, of disrupted education for anybody, but especially when you think about these, you know, high school kids where it's supposed to be some of the best two years and they're like thrown off by all of this stuff. It's right. really tough. And it's tough to kind of uh, make sure that they're being given all the, the things that they need. Well, Adam, we ask our guests this all the time, but, in the last, let's say, 18 months, was there any specific show or film that got you through? I know you were busy, but was there anything that got you through in the downtimes? Unless you didn't have any downtimes. No, I, um, two, two shows, two TV shows that really helped me was the TV show Letterkenny. Um, uh, a Canadian show about a small town, um, and it it is a, it's a it's a it's an interesting one, uh, but it has such heart and such like kindness, and it's truly about a small town community, like and how the community can have infighting and disagreements, but at the end of the day, they're going to be there for each other. And I, as a community person, like just loved it and thought it was funny and thoughtful and interesting and um kind of also one of the first times that like as a uh, an elder millennial i saw a show that was talking about being both kind of not the elders but also no longer the young ones and like having to like decide like decipher that role as kind of interim uh which i thought was really really great um and then the other one that's so silly but i I've needed it and I didn't know I needed it in my life so bad is the BBC show Taskmaster. Um, it is one the of game kind of show. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like a game show, but it's not, it's like a panel show kind of game show, but they're giving really dumb tasks that they have to solve. And as a theater <laughs> producer, I feel like that's my life. Like, Oh, what is the dumb thing that I didn't know I was going to have to solve today that I need to solve today. And then later everyone's <laughs> going to watch it and judge what my decision-making process was. And I was like, in the moment, I don't know. I just made a decision. And, and so I, I feel a kinship to that show. And so I, I highly recommend anyone who's like a theater maker, producer, manager, like you can get a little relief of going, yeah, you, you, you're given a thing and you don't know how to solve it. So you do the best and what can you say? Uh, so those are the two shows that got me through the most for sure. Well, uh, you, can, you, can, you can find Leonard Kenny on Hulu. Correct. And, and where can you find Taskmaster? Just on YouTube. You can just like really? almost all of the episodes are free on YouTube. You can pick, you know, per, you can just watch one task or you can watch all of them. You know, I, I'd start with, uh, you know, uh, season the, the, one, episode one. No, no. Taskmaster, you should start with 
getting the potato into the golf hole. Like, I think if you like the potato toss into a golf hole, you watch that task alone, I think you'll get hooked on the concept of what's happening and the enjoyment of the whole thing. Well, that's awesome. Well, I always think of this quote that I saw online in a meme. Just remember, somebody thought at a meeting that Sharknado was a good idea. I, yeah, I love Sharknado too. Sharknado, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a Sharknado bobblehead. I'll tell you what, I, I love something so chaotic um, that it goes back to the enjoyable side for me, for me. Now, some of the other like Sharknado three kind of jumps the shark for me, but other than that, it's all pretty good. Well, thank you, Adam, so much for being with us today, and uh, we're excited. Break a leg, and uh, Carl, you got to get your family out there next. Weekend. I know we do. It's you have dealing with a high school senior who doesn't drive is very, very stressful. That's right. So <laughs> September 9th, tenth, eleven, eight p.m. The Ville, right in front of Annie Malone home. And go to stlshakes.org and you can find out everything you need to know, as well as all the programs that they do throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for letting us talk about this. And uh, we hope to see you on the north side. Thank you, Adam. We'll be Thanks. there. Thanks. stlshakes.org. All right. Thanks. So that was good. He's a very nice man. Oh, he can very still talented. <laughs> very talented. I was going to say very talented. He Thank was, he was, uh, sure. He was, You're um, welcome. uh, uh, George in, a uh, Sate production of, of Mice and Men, which was fabulous. And then he directed, is it the last days of Judas Iscariot? Is that the yeah. title? I was trying to, and, uh, that was fabulous. And Eric Dean White won, uh, one of our theater circle awards as Satan. Yeah. That that was a, that's a good show. I, mean, I uh, was glad to do that, you know? Uh, and then of course, the Mice and Men, you know, doing that with Carl, who's like one of my best friends was always great. So thank you so much. Uh, uh, I'll talk to y'all later. Appreciate it. All thank right. Adam. You. Before Thanks. you go, hold on. Are you a DC or a Marvel guy? I look, I, I can, I can claim the supremacy of Marvel movies, but I have DC comic books more in my shelf than I do Marvel comic books in my shelf. Uh, that, that, is, that is understandable. I was just in Chicago this weekend, saw the Marvel exhibit at the Science and Industry. It was fantastic. Oh, that's and great. They lean, the first half, it's in two segments. The first segment leans heavily into the MCU. The second one leans heavily into the comics. So yeah. I, I'm, I just like, am not a Marvel's comic person. Like I'm picking up some more now, like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm interested in this like story or whatever, but I was always a Batman. Batman is like my, Batman's mm -hmm. my me too. My, Batman's my guy. So, uh, so that's, that's, that's where I'm at. So favorite Batman. Oh, um, death in the family. I think actually, um, see she, she, I understood what he meant, but Lynn meant, which actor is your favorite Batman? Oh, you're, you're saying which you're talking about the death of Robin, which is good, which is a great thing. I, I yeah. mean, I is, know you went with best Batman story arc. She yes. meant best best actor playing Batman. Oh, I um, uh, what's the gentleman's name who uh, voiced uh, the Batman animated Kevin, series? Kevin Connery. Yeah, that's that's the best Batman. He's oh, those are so good. When my kids yeah. were little, we all oh, so good. That's the, the animated Batman. Batmans. Yeah. And Mark Hamill's the Joker. Yep. Right. Yep. Best team. 
Thank you all. All right. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you, Adam. That leads us into the big movie of the week. And uh, Kevin Conroy is not in this movie, but uh, it is Tony Leung starring in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And do you notice what I said there, Lynn? Because yes. it is it, it is not uh, the movie about Shang-Chi. It's the movie about his father, the Mandarin. Right. Who's an evil terrorist. Yeah. Yes. And who still is a bad guy, not a good dad. And uh, what he puts his kids through, it's not fun. But his kids are Simu Liu and then... Liu. Oh, Liu. 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 Yes, all right. And then Megan Zhang. Yes. Megan Zhang. And, and Chen, Fala Chen plays his wife. So it, it's very, very about everybody but Shang-Chi. Because... It, 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 I really, and this is not, uh, this is not a slam on uh, Simu Liu, but this movie's not about him. Even though there is a lot of him and a lot of flashbacks and a lot of his story, it's really about his father. Well, it is an origin story, which goes on for a long time. If you're not familiar with this legend it's the the story of he's the master of kung fu in the comics stan lee wanted to produce this was at the time where uh martial arts was getting big bruce lee mm-hmm. uh etc and they introduced i will say marvel has been on the forefront of diversity among mm-hmm. characters and so they introduced this character 1973 right and then so it's been kind of so now it is starting the marvel phase four of well, the technically universe technically black widow was the beginning of phase four but with the new black widow uh florence Pugh. even though i i learned something i just talked about me being at the marvel exhibit up in chicago which i think ends very soon Uh, But there was something that I heard up there that they filmed an alternate scene in case uh, ScarJo ever wants to come back. But we will not know about that until that lawsuit is over. But Uh but Black Widow starts. Well, this is just like Captain Marvel was right before Endgame, which takes place before this. And Black Widow takes place before everything that's going on. This is post blip. This is the 25th. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. And we haven't talked about uh, uh, the star of Rhea and the Last Dragon playing the exact same role in this movie, Aquafina. That's right. And she's fabulous in this. I cannot say enough about how she provides comic relief, but her character tags along because uh, Sean, because he's in San Francisco, he's taken the name of Sean. And he is a valet parking attendant and underemployed and uh, and she's his buddy and it's post blip and uh, they are on a bus and uh, all hell breaks loose because the the global crime organization 10 rings not to be confused with the 10 blue amulets they are uh, trying to nab him 
And so, cause it's his dad's henchman right. and they have this to me, that was the best part of the whole movie was the bus fight. Well, you know what? I would say that the first 45 minutes has three major fantastic fight scenes. First, first I would mention the scene. Okay. Let's the bus scene, which you've seen in all the trailers that that's in the first 20 minutes of the movie. So you, you haven't seen anything besides that. Then there's a scene where, uh, mother and father have a fight that is fantastic as well and then when he meets his sister that is a great fight scene that might go on a little too long but it's still good right she has she operates like a fight club over in uh is it macau it's uh china it's the southern yes. coast of china but the, and, yeah it's it's yeah. also i thought that <laughs> i thought that emily van camp would show up because that's part of what she was doing on Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I know you haven't seen it, but me saying that is not spoilery. So I thought that Emily Van Camp would show up, but unfortunately she does not. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, uh, this one, I enjoyed the Eastern culture. I enjoyed the elegance to it. But you know me, when the action starts getting video gamey and ridiculous, like way too long with the dragon scenes. It is I a kinda, CGI huh. nightmare at the end of the film. It is, I, it is, yeah. It is, yeah. It, it is a bloated, it just like everyone bitched about the end of WandaVision, the end of uh, Wonder Woman. I know that's DC, but the end, ev- everyone loves Wonder Woman except for the last 10 minutes, the CGI what, fight. 20. 20, well, yeah, okay, but and but. that that is a Marvel problem that seems that they we have to have a big CGI fight at the end. And this one, this is why I mentioned Raya and the Last Dragon. It is a scene out of Raya and the Last Dragon. You'd think somebody at Disney would say, "Hey, by the way, we have these two films that are very similar in their endings. So why are we releasing them in the next in within months of each other?" And I know the pandemic screwed up all the timelines and all these, and I would be wondering which one would have come out first in a non-COVID world. But still, they are both Disney movies, and they both have dragons with Aquafina in them. And it is, and, and the dragons look exactly the same in the cartoon and in the CGI. Yeah, well, this mythical place that they are, this tall, low. This is first of all, they have this huge pro with the origin story which goes back a thousand years so you got to pay attention you got to pay attention now if you haven't seen any of the marvel movies i still think that you can get on board here i don't think the tv shows have any bearing i don't think that other ones do but you got to be kind of understand the ten rings organization the mandarin and also this master of Kung Fu. Now uh, there's some beautiful scenes with water that I just found very elegant and eye popping, but the director, Daniel, a Dustin, Daniel Cretton, he is of Asian, Asian descent and he made the movies just mercy, the glass castle and the, uh, the first time I noticed him was short term 12, which introduced With us Brie to Larson Brie Larson. And- so I don't know if he's, 
in over his head with the action scenes. I think the jury's still out on his his acumen in terms of action. I, I don't I, think so. I think he he shoots an action scene very well. I mentioned those three at the beginning, and they are very well shot. Right. Well, I like the family dynamic, and they go for the the CGI fest instead of exploring more of the family dynamic. Yeah, but do you care about Sean? You care about I his thought, sister, I, his mother, and his father more than you care about Sean. Yeah, but I did think that he was uh, appealing. He was, a, he's a reluctant hero. So he's, he's got that lane. You know, he doesn't want to be the hero. And then he's got Aquafina, the sidekick. Uh, if she wasn't there, I don't know how uh, good this would be because I think she helps make the movie. But I ultimately, I just I uh, gave it a C plus. Ken well, gave Ken gave it a B. Our buddy Max Boise says it is on, on first viewing. It is the worst of the twenty five Marvel movies. Now he thought that Captain Marvel sucked until he watched it again. So he's willing to give it a second look. But I find it, he says it's low tier, the worst Marvel movie. I find it mid tier. It also depends on where this is going because we don't know where this is going yet. No. And yet always have to stay for the credits in a Marvel movie because we've been trained to do that. Absolutely. And some of the Avengers pop up. So yes. there's those connections. And uh, ben it's, it's funny that uh, Benedict uh, Wong Wong Benedict Wong shows up as, as wrong in this movie, I'm like, wait a minute, that's his character's name and his real name. He shows up in this one and he's been showing up a lot in a lot of things. So it's it's very interesting because this is all going to be leading up to the new Doctor Strange movie, too. And uh, we didn't even mention Michelle Yeoh. No. We, as, as his aunt. And we didn't, men we do have to mention one more thing. There are a lot of parallels to is this the Asian Black Panther? And a lot of, uh, and a lot of boxes are checked off that you could answer that yes, including having the white comic relief slash friend token white guy in there, which we do not want to mention about that because it is a very big surprise if you're involved, invested in 25 movies so far. And there are a lot of things that you could say this is. They took the formula and just changed Asian for African-American or African as Wakanda is a fictional country in Africa. Would you agree, Lynn? I would. And so some of those arguments are valid. Some of them are not. And it's very disturbing, kind of. I get it. I get it. So the other movie that I saw this week. I saw one, too. I, I couldn't. I want to say right now, I tried very hard and could not bring myself to watch Cinderella on Amazon. I could. I just couldn't do it. Well, I did. Oh my gosh! Why? Oh, I know. I was. I was hoping for some enlightenment, but the the woman who directed this, Kay Cannon, she's responsible for Pitch Perfect. She was actually Emmy nominated for some episodes of Thirty Rock. She is the ex-wife of Jason Sudeikis. Mm -hmm. And uh, she uh, tried really hard to bring Cinderella into the 21st century. 
But what happened was this is one long music video. And even the songs, the pop songs, they do top 40 hits. They don't do necessarily all current. Like hits. a Moulin Rouge. Right. Like, uh, Billy, like Perfect. Billy Porter plays the fairy godmother, or right. a.k.a. Fab G. And he sings Shining yeah. Star to Cinderella, who's played by Cam Camila Cabo. Uh, Ca Ca Camilla Cabello. Camilla Cabello. Yeah. Right. She used to be in Fifth Harmony. And she is, uh, this is her acting debut, and she's got some spunk and she has a knack for comedy. But uh, the prince is one of those generic pretty boys, Nicholas Galatzine. And the, the king and queen are Pierce Brosnan and Minnie Driver. And Pierce Brosnan attempts to sing again. And Minnie Driver tells him he can't sing, which <laughs> is a reference to Mama Mia, Mama Mia. Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny. But he's this pompous king as they all. And so the prince is trying to find his way. The evil stepmother is Idina Menza. Hey, and, that's, and we talk, she, didn't we talk about her last week? Yeah, and so it's weird because they soften the wicked stepmother and they soften the stepsisters, and I don't know why, but it's it it's this revisionist Cinderella that she wants to be a fashion designer and she doesn't need a man. So now, now why this is this is a James Corden idea. James right. Corden said, you know what, I want to update Cinderella to the twenty first century. And I don't think it works well because, yeah, it's good to be empowered, sure. And that, but why didn't they do a modern version of it? Kind of like Ella. Oh, does it Chance. take place? Does it take it, place back then? Yeah, it takes place back then. So we have people doing Rhythm Nation, the townsfolk starting this with Rhythm Nation. We have the women at the ball when the prince is introduced singing Salt and Peppers, What a Man. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just this jumble of tone and you don't know why the characters are motivated. Like all of a sudden the, the, the king is sexist, male chauvinist, horrible. And then he suddenly is enlightened and decides that he's got to treat his wife better and he's got to treat his son better. And, but it's like, it's, Oh, there's a son. Oh, wait, oh yeah. The prince, <laughs> the prince. There isn't this character arc for any motivation this is just we're gonna use pop songs instead of dialogue and we're gonna convey these things and at the end they do the Gloria Estefan song let's get loud with no well it's a Gloria Estefan song but it was made popular by J-Lo yeah so it's to me it was a big mess and okay. I'm really sorry that I spent <laughs> nearly two hours watching it, but I felt like I had a duty to do that. You said now, duty. the other movie that the I one saw, I saw, I saw the lost Leonardo. Oh, well, so did I. Good. We can talk about that because it is, I really, my wife uh, has her minor in art history. And uh -huh. so we watched this together and I was very impressed. But by the story, People have, if you're familiar with the art world, you've heard about this story, but I was impressed about the 
technical aspects of this movie. They made every single recreation look like the most high quality version of Unsolved Mysteries or uh, or America's Most Wanted. They made it look like they were filming it at the time, which is fantastic for a documentary, especially with one with a lot of talking heads. All of their recreations look like they were filmed at the time it was happening. And I want to give props and accolades to the filmmakers. Yes, Andreas Kofet, I think is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, it's a Swedish, Norwegian, it's, it's, it's a total European production. It's very meticulous and methodical and the talking heads are great. It starts out 2005, these two art collectors uh, are uh, in a, uh, they discover this what they think is the Salvatore Mundi, which is Leonardo da Vinci's long lost painting for 500 years of uh, in Latin it means savior of the world. It's mm-hmm. Jesus holding the globe, and uh, it's at this auction house in New Orleans, and they buy it for one thousand one hundred and seventy-five dollars. And they turn it over to this woman because it's been overpainted. Uh, Some people think a student of Leonardo's did this painting and uh, they were worried because of the fingers and then also, but the restoration is done by Diane Modestini. She's very famous. She's at New York University and she knows And her husband, her husband was an expert in the area of art restoration and art dealings. And he was 98 years old when they bought this painting and she saw it and he said there was something special about it, but then he of course is 98 years old and passes away while all of this is unfolding. Right. And, and she notices some strokes in the mouth area that she said, Oh, this has to be Leonardo because that was his signature. And so uh, she notices that. So she thinks it is. So they go through this whole rigmarole. Uh, The national gallery in London wants to show it. All these museums want to show it. These other art experts are like, wait a minute, not so fast, not so fast. And everybody's trying to authenticate it. And it's this very convoluted history. It gets a Russian oligarch and a shady, sweet, uh, shady Swiss dealer uh, with uh, ulterior motives. And it it goes into a whole you learn a little bit about tax shelters in the meantime. Oh, yeah. And then uh, it's it's really fascinating because it's divided into chapters. First is called The Art Game. Mm-hmm. And it tells you about this international world of art, which we are not uh, familiar with. And then it goes into the money game, which is really high stakes. So ultimately, this prince buys it at the Christie's auction house in New York City. Well, no one no one knew it was MBS until he was outed later when he tried to let the Louvre borrow it. And but he wanted the Louvre to authenticate it. And they and he also wanted it in the same room as the Mona Lisa. And they were like, no, no. Nope. And, and, and we're not spoiling anything about the documentary because this was, this really happened and it was history. So right. if you don't know, if you already know, you're not being spoiled. And if you don't know, it's news. So yeah, well, 2017 is when this prince uh, representing Abu Dhabi 
uh, cult, uh, Department of Culture. He's, and then he's the leader. In, he's the leader of Saudi Arabia, MBS. Right. Well, yeah. Then the Crown Prince has it, and apparently now it's in storage. Well, the Louvre printed this forty-six page book touting this this painting, and everybody gets there, and it's not on the wall. And no. the prince, the prince is like, uh, no, it's not going to be in the same room as Mona Lisa. Now, I've never been to the Louvre. My I've son Charlie has. I've been at least three times. And so this last room is apparently where the is that where the Mona Lisa? No, is? it's not. It's not. It would have been the very last art piece in in the exhibit. But the Mona Lisa and the Mona Lisa is very small, by the way. Well, that's Everyone what, thinks it's yeah. huge. Charlie took a picture of it and sent it to me. And I was like, whoa, wait, that's it. Yes. And so they're they're the way they the Louvre has the Mona Lisa. It's really impractical to have anything next to it or buy it. It could have been in the same room on the other side opposite. But still, it's it's nothing that MBS wanted. And it's also uh, the Louvre is they were going to authenticate it or they were going to claim often authenticity and that is another one of the sticking points so uh, it's it's you also learn about the history of the mona lisa and why the mona lisa is popular because of jfk and jackie o oh jackie kennedy at the time but that's why the mona lisa became popular because up until 1961 it was just a, another leonardo painting and then jackie kennedy fell in love with it and that's why it is what it is today isn't that amazing? Well, another thing about Leonardo is there's less than 20 of his originals that remain in this world. And besides the Mona Lisa being his most famous painting, The Last Supper mm-hmm. is and then the 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 man, the one that everybody sees, the drawing of the guy in the, the, tri- the trivia man. Yeah, that guy. And uh, so, but this one was lost for a long time. And so there's only, there's less than 20. And then he is considered the, the, the biggest artist of the Italian high Renaissance. And so everybody went gaga and nuts about this. And it became this media sensation, but it also was this friend, like they showed it at the National Gallery and they, the tickets were going up words of like four hundred dollars yeah and people and then even before they sold it at christie for four hundred million dollars with 50 million in fees right in so it's 2017 dollars yeah right they showed it they displayed it and thousands of people came to see it yeah and this one guy one of the talking heads is so funny he goes it's not even that good a painting right <laughs> and that is new york times art critic um Jerry Saltz, and he is very funny, and he did. Oh, he used to be yeah. at the uh, Village Voice, and so he oh he works for New York Magazine, sorry, uh, which I am a subscriber, and he really trashes the painting the entire time, and they they say a lot without having the talking heads say a lot, and in fact, if, when they're trying to get their point across, they have somebody else talking while showing a disgruntled face of somebody not talking, which I thought was, it it is, was a good, uh, a good technique. Now, Lynn, how do you think Diane Modestini comes off? I think she, well, I think she has regrets. Mm -hmm. 
but I also think at the end when she, she really wanted it to go to a museum. So she's not happy with the crown prince evident. And supposedly it's either on a boat or in storage. I believe it's in storage or it's in there. They talk about Saudi Arabia wanting to build this art museum in the middle of the desert. And that would be the signature piece. And then they sh keep showing this one building that we don't know what it is, but I think they're alluding to the fact that that's was, that is what it would be. I know. So how do you think she comes across? I, my wife missed the first 20 minutes. So we went back and watched the 20 minutes at the beginning again. And I think she had, I think she had good intentions at the beginning. And yeah. then there's the whole, the, the, she was part of the original three people that made the discovery and found out that this is what it is. And so the original three people only made only made $83 million. And there she won't say how much of that $83 million she got. So there everyone has something to hide about this. And some people get exposed and other people don't get exposed. It's it's very interesting how they all come off. Yeah, it's dense, but it's fascinating. It's as intriguing as a murder mystery. Yes. I thought, because I, I did think it's really well done. Well, get this. There's another document. This premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, Los Leonardo. Um, there's another movie coming out called Savior for Sale, and it's going to be on demand September 17th. And Kent has already seen it. Kent was an art history major, by the way. Ah. And so he's already seen it. And he was asking Ian who was, you know, who, who asked us if we wanted to watch it, uh, that is, is this the same? And it's like the exact same movie. Although I don't know, cause I haven't seen it. If it's the, the quality that I thought lost Leonardo was very high quality of it a was. documentary. So I'm glad I saw it now. It's only in theaters right now. It's at Plaza Frontenac. Okay. And I don't know when it'll be coming to other platforms, but the other one comes out September 17th. So I'm just like, oh, I should see this to compare. Right. You should, because I, I enjoyed Lost Leonardo and I, I'll watch the other one because I'm curious about it as well. Now, this other documentary that started Friday called On Broadway, I am going to see that today with a friend of mine that's coming in from Kansas City because we're both Broadway nuts. And I figured that would be good, even though I do have a link. But it is uh, going to be on video, uh, on DVD and, and all on the demand. on demand in mid-September. So we'll do that. But it is a it's a love letter to Broadway. It's pure joy the scenes I've seen from it. And it, it talks about Broadway coming back from the AIDS crisis oh, in wow. the eighties at comparing it to we're coming back from a pandemic Broadway's reopening. And it is scary times right now because of this Delta variant. Look what happened at the Muni. Right. Uh, they're all vaccinated and they have breakthrough cases in the cast. So they canceled the final three shows of Chicago, That's which was, was probably the best show of the season. I said it was really? the best produced show of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think they've all had their good points, but, and, and I really loved on your feet, but this one, as far as production, all the elements and also the high quality of the 
casting the music the dance just really special so it's very disappointing because it was probably getting the best reviews of the season and the audience grew the audience opening night was uh 6453 which wow. was one of the higher ones of the season well it's only been there three times i saw it when it was there in 1977 and people hated it that was with the original broadway uh a, ca a cast member, Jerry Orbach, and then Anne Ryan King had taken, uh, I can't remember if she was taking the place of Gwen Verdon or Cheetah Rivera, but uh, one of them. He, that's Bossy's muse, mm -hmm. Anne Ryan King. And so people hated it. It was ahead of its time because at the, at the time it wasn't relevant. But then when Mike Isaacson took over, he said Chicago was number one on the audience survey. So he had Dennis Jones do it in 2012 and Dennis Jones was back this year to do it. He was one of the swings in the 1996 Broadway revival. And he, um, so he had that background. He worked with uh, James Naughton, Joel Gray and Ryan King and B.B. Uh, no Newworth. And the 1996 revival is what really gave this. It's what um, made them make a movie. Right. Which won the Oscar. And I think that went into more mainstream. But because of what it says about celebrity culture and and trials as media sensations, because we lived through OJ and uh, we also are in this 24 hour news cycle where the Kardashians, everything they do is headline. Right. And so it is more timely and relevant than it ever was. And I think that's why people can identify with it because at the time, the, the merry murderers, like they were unlikable and unsympathetic. Yes, that's true. But now we don't get to watch it. And I saw Kofi on television apologizing to people and it's just an unfortunate situation. I know it, it just was such heavy hearts. I mean, they had to do it because they have to keep people safe and don't know how many uh, cat, but it was an outbreak in the cast. And as you know, this spreads like wildfire and these are breakthrough cases. It wasn't like they weren't vaccinated. It mm -hmm. wasn't like they weren't doing all the strict actors equity protocols, but there's a lot of people, as we were talking to Adam about, there's the dressers, there's the, uh, you know, technical guys, there's this whole army of people. And so how do you know? I mean, when I had it in January, it was a brief encounter with my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, there's no rhyme or reason to this. And right. some people have no symptoms and then they're spreading it. They're a carrier. So anyway, um, getting back to movies i saw a movie that people should stay away from it's, oh did you see the gateway i did and i was grabbed by it because they said it's set in st louis and i hear there's like one drone scene and that's it i don't even think there's that there is uh there's no shot of the arch so they don't even pretend it's in st louis they have a line in the dialogue meet me at forest park so okay. there's that. But basically, it's a generic inner city crime environment. So we're going through this, the mean streets of, of uh, some 
urban decay area in inner city. And then also we have government housing projects. So that's the loo that we're getting. I don't think mm. the tourism bureau is going to promote this movie. <laughs> well, this is a very gritty drama thriller. I wouldn't even say it's a thriller, but it stars Shea Wiggum, who is a character actor. And who he, we're going to talk about better in a better movie next week called Small Engine Repair. Right. And he is a social worker and okay. he cares too much about these foster kids that he's he's supposed to be checking on. And the reason is he was a foster kid. Oh, so there's that. So he gets too involved with Olivia Munn, who is the single mom to a girl that's in his charge, Ashley. I and, love Olivia uh, Munn. Yeah, she's actually fine in this. And uh, she's married to a creep who's in prison, Mike, who's Zach Avery. And he's just a horrible person, abusive to her. And he robs banks and he's a drug dealer. And he gets out of prison and immediately goes back into a life of crime. And his crime boss is none other than Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo, our buddy Dan's good friend, frenemy. In another tough guy role, oh, go figure. His name is Duke, and he's the drug kingpin, and he pisses off a, a Mexican drug cartel. Because, you know, we have these unnamed Mexican drug cartels as the villains. Mm -hmm. And so there's a robbery that goes horribly wrong, and then they got to get this stash that they stole to uh, wherever they got to take it to. And uh, Mike puts it in his daughter ashley's backpack oh. so making his daughter a drug mule <laughs> well, so there, there are yeah. other people other good people in the cast keith david mark boone jr taryn manning and how much is bruce dern in the movie uh maybe two scenes maybe three tops wow he yeah he plays his estranged father he does get the requisite late night whiskey fueled tate-a-tate Ah. And when when uh, Shea Wiggum's character Parker takes Olivia Munn and her daughter to hide out at his dad's. Ah. And the other guys are not in it hardly at all. And Taryn Mann plays a barfly and it's kind of sleazy. And well, so, I hear it's mercifully short at like 90 minutes, which is really good. But it's just a <laughs> it's, that's it's, the best part about it, that it's short. It's just a waste of space. It's just, they're stereotypic characters. It's just cliche ridden. They don't elevate any kind of thing. I mean, I liked seeing Shea Wiggum in a lead role mm -hmm. because he's so often just a character. The character he's, actor. For 20 years, he's been in a tons of TV shows and movies. You might have seen him as a detective in Joker, and he was in F9, which I missed. I didn't so, see him. So, and then he's coming up in small engine repair. So I just tell people it's on video um, on demand, and it's in theaters, but really, it's just forgettable. Just don't. Don't see it? Yeah, don't go there. All right, we have to wrap it up, but I do want to mention a couple things. Uh, Ed Asner's final role as Carl Gunnarsson is on Disney Plus right now. Of all of the Ed Asner things that I saw this week, none of them mentioned Doug Days on Disney Plus. I know. None of them. 
And it's Pixar's so-called sequel to Up, which we both love so much. But it and is it, it's 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 seven minute shorts like old old time cartoons about Doug the dog. But Carl and Russell are in the movie is are in the shorts as well. So if you want to honor Ed Asner, you can watch Up or watch the current Doug Days on Disney Plus right now. There's only five episodes. They're delightful. I was trying, especially for dog people, because right. it's the inner monologue of the dog and the dog well, is a hoot. Well, he speaks. He's got the little thing on his neck that he can speak. Right. Bob oh, so, Peterson, the yes. director, is the Doug voice. And it's really fun because if you remember from movie Up, he was always distracted by a squirrel. squirrel. And squirrel is a character in the shorts, too. Yeah, so it's delightful. I started uh, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu uh, featuring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And it's a new episode every Tuesday. It just started last week. And it is uh, true crime nuts trying to solve a murder in their building. And it's everybody's got secrets. And yeah, they do. And Martin Short and Steve Martin are just so fantastic together because they have a shorthand and they play with these. It's just so funny how they antagonize each other. And then Nathan Lane pops up. Uh, Martin Short plays this vain director and uh, he had all these goofy ideas that flopped. And uh, Steve Martin is an actor that was on a TV series a long time ago. Selena Gomez is rehabbing her aunt's apartment in this building, the Arconia. And it's really fun so far what I've seen. I'm on the third episode and uh, I recommend it highly. Anything else you're watching, Carl? Um, well, no, I'm every week I watch Lego Masters and Holy Moly. But other than that, um, I'm 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 watching What If on Disney Plus and I'm still watching Monsters at Work. I am so I am surprised how much that Billy Crystal and John Goodman are in Monsters at Work. I, I and my family has they said we're done with it. They're they're all about what if right now. And this week was uh, what happens if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands, which is great. I, I'm enjoying what if some people are it. The thing is about what if is that you can like part of one episode or another episode you don't necessarily have to like the the entire series there are episodes that you can like better than others because they're all independent of each other right well um i do enjoy that series upcoming is the american crime story season three impeachment starts tuesday on fx and that is the infamous clinton monica lewinsky and Beanie Feldstein is playing Monica Lewinsky and yes. Clive Owen is playing Bill Clinton. Yeah. So this should be interesting. Uh, Billion starts on Showtime uh, Sunday night. And that's five new episodes of season five. I, I, I started watching it in uh, back in the first season and I just had to give it up because, you know, you can only have time for so many things now. Uh, Coming up are all the 9-11 specials. And Including the talk- edited Spike Lee special. They took right. out a half hour of Spike Lee giving uh, 9-11 truthers a platform. 
But right. Rosie Rosie O'Donnell, who is a 9-11 truther, is going to interview all those people and give them their own platform. Right. And uh, there's one on CNN tonight, which has uh, claims it's the only one with footage from inside the building. And on uh-huh. Monday night on CNN, they are going to show LFG, the U.S. women's soccer documentary that I like so much. Eight o'clock CNN, because I told you CNN films was one of the producers. So it would wind up there, not just HBO Max and all the art, uh, 16 arts organizations in St. Louis announced COVID-19 safety protocols. Restrictions. Yes. You have to be vaccinated or have a, I think it's 72 hours negative test. Right. And uh, all that. So. Oh, and I want to mention the uh, Rick and Morty season five finale will be on uh, Sunday night. So if you're a Rick and Morty fan, the finale is this Sunday. Well, stay safe, everyone. And uh, enjoy the Labor Day weekend and try not to get sick. Bye-bye. So long. Take care. Bye.